This episode is brought to you by Liquid IV. Guys, if you don't know what Liquid IV is, well, buckle up because I'm going to throw you a game changer. Liquid IV is a hydration multiplier that not only tastes great, but is a non-GMO electric light drink mix. Powered by cellular transport technology to deliver hydration to the body faster and more efficiently than water can just do alone. One stick contains three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks with five essential vitamins. Now, I pride myself on telling you about things that I either already like or just use in my everyday life. And I have to say, I've actually been a fan of Liquid IV for a long, long time now. I use it for everything from, you know, just long runs to stay in shape, all those late nights with those after hours or just when I'm feeling a little dehydrated. I turned to it so it could just, my God, set me straight, make me feel like a million bucks again, and just get me ready for the day. So please head on over to their website. That's liquid-iv.com to check out their amazing line of products. And get this, when you use promo code Art of the Beholder, all one word, you'll get 20% off your order. Now, if you need a little direction on where to start, I recommend Lemon Lime. Guys, you're going to love it, won't be disappointed. So please give it a shot and get more fuel for life's adventures. Now, back to the show. Greetings and salutations, all you beautiful people, and welcome to another episode of Art of the Beholder, a show dedicated to all things eclectic in the world of arts, where we do deep dives into deep cuts and help you understand why damn things matter. I'm your host, Novo Day, and today we're going to be talking about art and history, focusing on the Dutch masters. To hash it out, we have a very special witch in the house today. That's right. She is back to honor us, to talk shop, to kill it. Jesse the Bake Witch. Welcome back, Miss Jesse. Thank you so much for having me again. I'm looking forward to chatting. So it's been a while. It's been a while. I want you to tell, before we dive into all the nit and gritty, how the hell are you? What's been new? Doing pretty well. Um, good. good. <laughs> my my oven did break for a while, but now it's oh, fixed. God. So I'm okay. back in the baking game. It was very stressful, um, but now things are up and running again. So been baking some cakes. I made one for a special little four-year-old that I love. Guys, if you are not familiar with uh, Jessie, the Bake Witch, she's uh, been, she was, she was one on one of our interview shows. So we interviewed her, you know, her career and her, her background and learned a lot about her. And we had talked about this in the show and I didn't forget. There's also something I didn't forget either. And so I, before we actually dive into the thesis, theses of the Dutch masters. I have to ask you this. Uh, Gremlins one or Gremlins two? Gremlins one. Gremlins. Oh my God. Okay. Well, it is the OG. I feel like Gremlins two is like, it's like apples and oranges. It's kind of weird when you see it, yeah. especially compared to Gremlins one. I like it, but I feel like the first one I grew up watching that as a child. So what's crazy is it's kind of a there's there's a part of me that when I rewatch it, I'm like, maybe this isn't for kids. I feel like there's a lot of stuff that we grew up with where I'm like, you know, when he when she puts a gremlin in the microwave, there's a lot of body horror and gremlins yeah. that I think we forget about. But it is it is at the end of the day, a um, a horror comedy. So but we're not uh, we're not talking about gremlins today. I did want to touch on that. What we're talking about today is the Dutch masters. And uh, let's tell the 
let's tell the good people why. Why are we talking about the Dutch Masters today? So they helped to usher in a new era for art, not only for its time, but for the future as well, by focusing not on the grand, fantastical, or godly, but the grounded secular and worldly most importantly finally connecting the prestige of high class art with the common people so in essence so in essence it helped to pave the way for art to become essentially more human and societal now before we can discuss of course we all need a little background so the time of the dutch masters is included in what is known as the dutch golden age of painting so this is a period roughly spanning the late 16th and 17th century roughly 1568 to roughly 1672 whereas the dutch golden age of painting is often included in a wider baroque painting era of european history which marked a time when artists started to drift away from as i already said the more religious imagery so that they could focus on more realistic, secular life. Widely used genres of this era included scenes of peasant life, which is sometimes for the record called genre paintings, but for the purposes of this episode, we're going to probably call them scenes of peasant life to not confuse the shit out of you guys listening. So scenes of peasant life, landscapes with and without animals, of course, townscapes, maritime paintings, flower paintings, and of course, the still lifes. A hierarchy of painting quality was even devised at this time, subjective, of course, but this helped to separate the literal genres, not genre paintings. In descending order of importance, it includes history paintings, portraits, scenes of everyday life, various scape motifs like the townscapes and the cityscapes and of course the still lifes now the dutch usually focus on the bottom tier and we're going to be talking about that a lot today but before we do of course we need a little word from our sponsor we'll be right back this episode is brought to you by the novella adulteration follow adult entertainer Jessica Amber Starr, as she embarks on a journey that will change her life forever. She not only finds herself in the industry, but figures out a way to transform herself and eventually become reborn. Find out how an adulteration, which can be found on Amazon in both paperback and ebook, available now. Now back to the show. Okay, so I thought before we um, dove into the artists themselves, I think as someone that has studied a lot of art history, let's paint a picture, pun intended, uh, for the good people in terms of what these pieces often look like. So let's start with medium style and aesthetics. So for, let's say you're talking to a four-year-old. I'll be the four-year-old. I'll play the four-year-old, okay? And you're trying to explain a Dutch a Dutch painting to a four-year-old. What would that sound like? I think uh, I would start by saying that they use a lot of light and darkness So like when you're outside and you look down and see your shadow on a sunny day, um, that plays a big part in those paintings. Um, And there's a lot of contrasting color. So I think kids get wild with color. So I think they can understand that part. Um, And I think another thing too to explain is just the type of texture the painting is. So it's not like a flat painting but you could touch it and it would have like bumps and raised areas um, just because of the amount of paint that they used. I think what stuck uh, stuck out to me immediately when I was studying these pieces again was the emphasis on realism. 
and uh, what is often known to historians as narrative directedness, because it looked, you know, as as later generations got into the abstract, abstract and the avant-garde and cubism and all this stuff, th- this era was very focused on making, I mean, some of them are close to picture perfect. I mean, for for the, you know, quality of equipment and paint they had at the time. Obviously, they don't have what we have now. And like Miss Jessie said, yes, light and shadow, chiaroscuro, am I pronouncing that right? There's a technical term for that when there's a there's a, a strong use of contrast with light and sh- and shadow, chiaroscuro. Uh, and of course, just like she said, texture and detail and that kind of leads us to our first master i wanted to start with you know i think a lot of most people that probably don't fucking know anything about this this era or art history they usually know a few artists names you know just in the lexicon that is culture picasso comes to mind most people that have no i they probably don't don't even have an idea of what a picasso even looks like but they've heard that name and i feel like rembrandt is one of those artists. They probably have heard of Rembrandt in some movie, right? But I don't want to start with I don't want to start with Rembrandt because I want to start with I think someone that kind of gave him a run for his money, I think in terms of how popular and famous he has become over the years and that is Johannes Vermeer. So, if you don't know who that is, you may have known you may know his work. He did The Girl with the Pearl Earring. That's probably the most famous piece he's, he's that or has become so famous, but he also did The Girl with the Wine Glass, The Music Lessons, Girl with the Red Hat, Mistress and Maid, The Art of Painting, The Astronomer, The, the Geographer, Lady Writing a Letter with Her Maid, The Allegory of Faith, and Lady Seated at a Virginal. And I, I want to start here because as when I started, you know, doing my homework, reading, watching documentaries, doing all the things, I I I felt like Man, is Vermeer is Vermeer now more famous than Rembrandt? I feel like he probably could be. Everyone could probably point out Girl with the Pearl Earring if they were asked. They might not know his name, but I think a lot of people would know that painting for sure. I think from his work alone, I feel like, because what's crazy is when I was reading the history, he was kind of omitted for like two centuries. You know, like biographers didn't talk about him much. And then I think in the like the early 19th century, he was resurrected by a lot of these art historians. And people were like, oh, shit, we really need to focus on this guy. Like, this guy is is, ama- is amazing, you know, especially with his, you know, mistress. And, you know, just the, the, again, the secular life. It would often be done, like, just in his home. It was very simple. But, like, in terms of art, you know, theory and color theory he was so ahead of his times people people to this day think he was using you know high tech almost like photograph like like technology for its time to create the pieces that he made no one actually knows how he made some of the pieces but um i think that's you know it's it's crazy to me that as much as rembrandt has is kind of you know a lot of people think he's the goat i get it but um, I don't know. I think Vermeer is uh, Vermeer fascinated me, and I think I think when we learned about his life too, it was fascinating because we did. He was mysterious. We didn't know a ton about him. Let's uh, let's throw a curveball. Let's throw uh, let's throw let's let's just rip up our outline right now because now I'm curious. You know, you said that the Dutch Masters was one of your favorite eras. 
who was who was the most notable master then? Um, let's see. I think I know we'll talk about this person later, but <laughs> I <laughs> no no we I ripped up we ripped up the outline. We're gonna yeah. go out of order. Who who is it right now? First thing that pops in your head. The first thing that pops into my head, who's my favorite, is Clara Peters because I really love still life paintings of food, as you could probably guess, because I'm a baker <laughs> and like and like food. So I think I was drawn to those a lot when I. Also, I love flowers and things, so those are featured a lot in still lives. So let's talk Clara Peters then. So yeah, what like I'm looking at one of her still lives of just Jesus almonds and pretzels, and again, I think the thing that stands out to me immediately is the extreme attention to detail. How did they do this back then? I feel like we are we are spoiled with our photoshops and our stencils and our all the little tricks we have today. How did they do this back then? A lot, I think a lot of work. They it took a lot of time to complete a lot of these paintings um because of the amount of detail in them, which I also think is just that ambition and dedication to finishing a piece is incredible. Um I think if it were me, I probably would have given up like a day into it. And sometimes <laughs> these paintings were worked on for months. But I think just the thought process that goes into it of like, which layer to paint first, how do you add this detail? Um, and that's something that I think they all kind of learned from each other and past artists of different techniques that were around, which a lot of people did by apprenticeships and working with different artists and seeing how they created things, which I also think is cool of like passing on your knowledge to somebody. And I'm glad you brought up also uh, when we're kind of uh, collaborating on developing the show. Yeah, I, I like that you because I I like that you threw out some names that I did come across a lot, and that is Judith Leister. Uh, she made um, the proposition, 1631, the happy couple, serenade, young flute player, Mary Trio, the last drop, and of course the jester which she collaborated with some, with, I believe it was Franz Halls. Uh, now I, uh, and she was married to another Dutch painter. We're not going to focus on him because let's focus on, on Judith Leister right now. Now she and the very next one are from the homework I did, arguably the most famous female painters of that era of all time, uh, which also uh, the second of the two is Rachel Reisch. I'm not, I apologize if I'm butchering that name, Reicht family. And she was famous for creating incredibly detailed and real and just ahead of its time, still life floral paintings. I think the use of color in those is very interesting. Um, she did a great job, in my opinion, of making the flowers look realistic, but also using eye-popping colors along with the dark background. You're talking about Rachel right now? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But I think some of the thing too that I've, and you see this with a lot of artists as well, where they study drawing and learn those techniques before painting. And I think you can kind of see that in a lot of the artwork that most of the Dutch masters do, that they've spent time focusing on drawing and working to perfect art over time and then creating this beautiful painting. And I feel like, I don't know if you feel this way. I mean, I love her still life, going back to Rachel, her still life floral paintings, but there's a sadness to them. You know, it's not like always beautiful, colorful, pop of color in your eye kind of flowers. It's like sometimes they're dying, they're wilting, they're, they're withering. 
And I I feel like there's, you know, I've always said this in a lot of our shows, you know, I think some of the best art is the art that creates an emotional response in <laughs> bad or good, you know, or positive or negative or just happy or sad. And I feel like there is a lot of sadness to her, to her flowers. I would agree with that too. I also enjoy the life cycle of flowers and seeing yeah, I mean, most a story of these are, you know, there's, cut. Yeah. Yeah. And most of them are cut and invases. And there's still a story within that, that, you know, the first couple of days they look really beautiful. And then over time they start withering. And even sometimes within the same painting, there will be like beautiful, fresh looking flowers with ones wilting behind it. And I think that also just captures me because it's the realism of a flower arrangement that I would have on my table. And I do right now where there are a couple of Mm. flowers in there that don't look so great, but the rest still look beautiful. Now, uh, since we uh, (laughs) ripped up our outline, I'm going to go way (laughs) out of order uh, because I want to I'm going to piggyback off of of these three ladies as since they are one of your, you know, favorites kind of thing. I'm going to talk about my favorite but before we we probably will just book in this section with we started with Vermeer and we'll probably end with Rembrandt. So but in the middle here in terms of personal uh just fan favorites, my personal favorites, there was something about J- Gerard von Hunthorst. He made The Matchmaker in 1625, Childhood Christ, Christ Before the High Priest, Christ Crowned, Musical Group on a Balcony, and The Merry Fiddler in 1623. Now, I think what gravitated, why I why I gravitated towards his particular work of all the Dutch masters, you know, like we've already talked about, yes, they were very, their pieces are very realistic looking. You know, there was an extreme attention to detail. As Jesse said, you know, these pieces weren't made you know, just in days or weeks, it sometimes took months to finish. And you can see that in the in the craft of their pieces. And I feel like there was something about his where he took his detail and imagery and how he wanted to create the realism. And he took it just to another, quite a, just another level that I didn't see some of the other, his contemporaries do. And he did this with incredible use of light. You know, we already talked about there There was a strong sense of light and shadow with a lot of these pieces, but this guy would do it to the point where I was like, okay, he's on a different level. And I just felt just uh, very moved by his his work. And I, I urge you guys to check him out. Now that, um, before we get to Rembrandt, we have to talk about, you know, when a lot of historians talk about this era, they talk about usually uh, Vermeer, Rembrandt, and one other gentleman that is usually the most famous, and that is Franz Hall, or Hals. Uh, he made The Gypsy Girl in 1628, Laughing Cavalier, 1624 and laughing boy in 1625 now i don't know i don't i'm not i'm not a real historian guys obviously i i do dumb jokes on a podcast i maybe jesse maybe you can help me out why is this guy so so famous compared to some of the others you know your guess is as good as mine i think (laughs) uh it really is because i think i can recognize how great of a painter he was for sure but i also I like portraiture. I don't find them to be like my favorite paintings that I see. 
Um, yeah. And that's mostly what he focused on. Exactly. Um, at yeah. least from what I found in my studies. So I think that is probably a part of why he is so famous is he did portraiture and included like the nobility any and person. the rich. Yeah. And then they control yeah. history. The rich control who's making the books Everything. And, and who's in the books kind of thing. Okay. I feel like that's a good theory. I like that. Because uh, I kind of feel the way about Rembrandt. Uh, a little bit in that in that vein. So Rembrandt, uh, he famously painted the anatomy lesson of Dr. Nicholas Tolp, 1632. Belshazzar's Feast, The Night Watch, 1642. The Hundred Gilder Print and um, Bathsheba at her bath and the syndics of the Draper's Guild in 1662. Um, I feel a, I kind of feel the same way. Like I, th- you know, he's very good. He's, he, he's better than me. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> what I, um, I don't know when I see his pieces, a lot of portrait portraitures again, things like that. I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think I quite get it. Is it, is it the same thing? I kind of felt the same way when I studied him, but I think I saw a lot of his works in the Rijksmuseum in the Netherlands. It's in Amsterdam. Um, And seeing it in person was pretty incredible because the paintings are huge. And I think when you look at them online or in a book um, or like a slideshow in school, yeah, it doesn't. And I think, you can say that about a lot of paintings, but I think I found these after seeing them in person to be way more incredible and inspiring than I thought. Guys, I want to tell you guys about a, uh, you know, a a sleeper hit. A lot of people, uh, besides the the trio that people always regard as the best of the best, that's Vermeer, Halls, and Rembrandt. There is also Jean or John Steen. He did uh, The Dancing Couple in 1663, The Feast of St. Nicholas, 1665, Beware of Luxury, 1663, The Happy Family, 1668, The Dissolute Household, 1664, and Woman at Her Toilet, of course, 1663. Um, He's uh, another one that, you know, I actually probably like him more than Hall's Hall or Rembrandt, just because he got a little risque. He liked to... uh, paint the ladies with their their lutes if you know what i'm talking about now um as we were preparing for this piece i i told jesse jesus fucking christ there's so many painters there's so many dutch painters in this era that it was really hard to it was kind of hard to just do those main main what is it one two three four five six seven eight artists we gave a little more time to because there are so many famous painters that need a little more time in the spotlight let's give a little more credit where credit's due because this we we could like separate it by the genre even again not genre paintings but uh the literal genres so uh let's give a little love to some of these other guys and gals so uh who focused on a on uh, painters that focus on a variety of genres include Kendrick, Ter Bruggen, Jean Levens, Gerrit Dow, Peter de Hooch. Landscapes included Jacob, Isaacs van Rustel, and Albert Cup. And maritime painters included Jean Priscellus, Simon de Vlaheer, Jean V. de Capelle, Kendrick Dubles, and Abraham Stork. And of course, still lifes that are probably a little more famous than those other ones was, um, I'm going to say a lot of last names, so bear with me. 
uh, except for these first two. Wilhelm Kauf, he's probably one of the most famous, and Peter Klass. And then there was Heida, Dahim, Osterwick, Rusch. We already talked about Rusch, actually. Buschart, Van der Ast, Van Elst, and Van Bashuren. Hope I did okay. Now, they they slammed down the door for future generations. And I know what you guys are waiting for. When are they going to fucking talk about Vincent Van Gogh? Well, the time is right now. So um, now he was he was not during during this Baroque era of painting he came much more, much more later in history. But without these amazing artists, we would probably not, not have one of the most famous Dutch painters, Dutch masters of all time. And that is Vincent Van Gogh. I, I know, again, this is like a Rembrandt or Picasso. You've heard that name for all the people that probably don't study this stuff like we do and you probably know what what is what is it jesse starry night uh they might know sunflowers that's a really popular one too now tell the good people why is vincent van gogh not only considered probably one of the greatest dutch painters and masters of all time but one of the most international globally recognized greatest painters of literally all time he has a very interesting story uh, from his personal life. So I think that probably plays a huge part because his story was very public um, Mm. after his death. And so I think that kind of gravity, like brings people to him in a way. Um, Also, I think his paintings are very accessible. You can see them pretty much anywhere in any city country that you go to, you can probably find one of his paintings, which is not uh, it's not rare but i think <laughs> it is for these dutch masters i don't think they're like popping up in every single museum in the us um so i think that plays a part of it too and i think they're also just really eye catching when you look at them from far away a lot of people probably have the outlook oh i could do that too um i think there are a lot of artists at this time where people can have that attitude but when you actually get up close you can see the attention to detail that he puts or put into his work, just like the Dutch masters did and how much texture and layering there is. And just the subject matter is also stuff that you would see like portraits of your neighbor, uh, flowers outside, a beautiful starry night. Yeah. I think is, I think between his style and what's crazy is I think a lot of people, since they're used to starry night and a lot of his, his, his pieces, much later in his life, they didn't realize that he started with a lot of the same kind of color palette as his as his predecessors, you know, with the real dark stuff and gloomy neutrals and earth tones and things like that. And then we get to, yeah, sunflowers and wheat filled with crows and stuff. And then it's like these these very popping, eye popping yellows and brights and beautifuls. And uh, I think accessible is a good way to put it. You know, his his work is, but he also had such a signature with how he would put every stroke down, you know, like uh, with that, I don't even know if there's a name for it, that kind of textured, you know, s- small brushstroke effect that he, that he used and created um, with his brushwork. And uh, it just, it just made a very recognizable and, character identifying essence and you know i think i think some of the best any artist any art of any medium you know when they find their identity 
I feel like they have an easier time connecting with their audience when they're like, okay, this is not only my work and my art, but this is my art is also me in a lot of ways. And I think people connect with that when there's more of a human essence. So tell the good people, Miss Jesse, uh, why study this era? Why is this so important in art history? I think for a couple of reasons, it really did pave a new way for people to capture the world, which in paintings prior to this, it was mostly like religious study or things of that nature where, or like really focused on history specifically, which is very great. And I'm very glad we have all of those paintings from those time periods as well. But I think bringing in this new era of painting more portraits, painting more still life and just everyday life of people that maybe aren't rich, um, just common people of the time was also, I think, really important because for such a long time, those groups of people were forgotten about. And I think in this time period, or like even with Henry Toulouse-Lautrec, you see them focus on people that wouldn't normally get the spotlight in their paintings, um, which I personally find very interesting. I'm also probably a weird person and I have my favorite Vincent van Gogh painting is the skull of a skeleton with a burning cigarette, which isn't the most like bright or eye-catching painting. I just like it a lot. Um, it no, kind of relates no. to, <laughs> it relates you to. You don't have to explain this, yourself. Like, that's a great, that's yeah. an excellent one. Yeah. It, I, and it relates directly back to this time period in the Dutch masters in the 17th century where they were painting like still life and, a lot of skulls were in those works too, um, or like animals or even dead animals, like chicken laying on a platter with fruit and flowers around it. So I think it really did kind of create a new era and a new way of looking at art and more, I think it enabled more people to see, oh, I don't have to paint this specific thing that everyone else is doing, I can kind of pave my own way, which we can see that a lot of artists after this time did that. They for sure studied the Rembrandts and the Jan Steens and Franz Hall, um, where they did look at those works and see how those artists did them and then either emulated that or built onto it and then kind of forge their own path into other genres of art. There you have it, guys. Now that's how you conclude a piece. Miss Jessie the Bake Witch knocking it out of the park for us. Guys, thank you for listening. There you have it, the Dutch Masters and the Dutch Golden Age of Painting. I want to thank you again for listening. I want to thank my guest, Miss Jessie the Bake Witch, for joining us again so we can talk all things the Dutch Masters and a little bit of Gremlins. I I, I knew I had to get it in there, and I did. (laughs) Uh, But before we go, uh, you guys... You guys know we got a little extra for you, a little icing on the cake, a little cherry on top with what we call the gym of the week. If you're new to the show and don't know what the gym of the week is, let me explain. You know, it's something we want to talk about that, uh, you know, doesn't always fit into the scheme of the topic. It may just, you know, be on our radar in the last day, week or month, but we want to give it to you guys so you guys can dig deeper. Before we go there, though, let's talk sponsors. Today's gyms are brought to you by Zencaster. 
Zencaster is our go-to tool for remote podcast recordings. What's great is that you can record separate audio and video tracks, and it's all backed up on a secured cloud so you never lose your hard work. Even better, it's easy to use and there's nothing to download. So go to zen.ai, that's zen.ai slash art of the beholder, or just use promo code art of the beholder and get 30% off your first three months with the pro account. Now back to the gyms. Mine is, I'm going to start with a movie. I, me and my wife, TV Del Rio, we were searching (laughs) far and wide for something to watch on Amazon Prime. And we stumbled upon this uh, sci-fi AI-driven story called The Artifice Girl. And it, uh, it's, it's, uh, I'll warn you, it's a, little, it's a little lower budget. It's a little more indie. But I think this is the best depiction of what uh, AI kind of is right now and what it may become in the future. And it is... And that mirrors a really fun still story, narrative. It plays out wonderfully because in the beginning, it's a little slow. And you say to yourself, oh, my God, is it going to be like this the whole fucking movie? And it's not. It picks up. It has twists. It has turns. And by the end, you're like, man, did they land? Did they land that ending? All right. So they they landed the plane perfectly. Now, Miss Jessie the Bake Witch, what do you got for us? What are you into these days? Ooh, I feel like I could pick like five gems of the week this week. Here's <laughs> here's hey, here's the good news, okay? Since you're you're new to the topical shows, um, there's no rules. If you want to do five, you know, I kind of did like a little mini review of the Artifice Girl. You don't got to do that. You can just be like, check out this album, check out this, eat at this new place. I mean, there's no rules, there's no limit. So if you want to give us all five, I kind of, I'm actually kind of curious now. What are the five? What are they? First one, I will pick a song. Uh, the Armed Sport of Form is a new track from this band that I like, The Armed. Uh, it's cool. great. It features Julian Baker, who I also love. Love Julian Baker. Um, same. Two is a new restaurant that I went to. Well, new to me. I think it's been around for a little bit in Atlanta called Palo Santo. Absolutely delicious. Highly recommend anyone go there. They had great food, great cocktails, great mocktails. It was overall very, very good and enjoyable. Um, movies. I think my gem of the week is past lives, which I just recently saw and I can't stop thinking about. Well, I'll just add Greta Lee as also my gem of the week. because She's great in that movie. (laughs) (laughs) She an actress. Yeah, she is. She's very funny. She's been in a lot of things. Um, but I think this is like the first serious role I've seen her in. She was in Russian doll on Netflix. If you've watched that show as well, and she was great in it, but yeah, so I'm, I'm just really into her in that movie. And then, you know what? I'm going to go and say my other gem of the week is I'm really excited to see Barbie. Okay. You have one more gem for us, I believe. I think one was like a, you kind of gave us like a gem and like a, you know, yeah. like a sub gem under that gem. So I feel like we deserve All right. Well, I gym. have, I have another one. It's baking related too. Ooh, um, oh, my perfect ending. Yeah. Normally I bake my own birthday cake. My birthday was earlier this month and I, Thank you. I decided that I didn't want to. So I ordered a cake from my friend Teresa, who owns At Heart Panaderia in Atlanta. And it was such a good cake. It was poppy seed vanilla cake 
with a fresh blueberry ginger jam and then a pistachio Swiss meringue buttercream. It was so good. Guys, check out Teresa in the Atlanta area. And now tell the good people if they want to check out, though, you, you know, if they want to order from Jesse the Bake Witch, do they go to your website? Do they email you? Give them all the deets. Yeah, you can go to my website. It's bakewitch.com. Um, you can follow me on social media at bakewitchatl. Guys, find her, check her out, order all the damn desserts in the world, please. And if you like that, of course, you can check out some of our stuff at novadayproductions.com. You can also follow us at underscore novo underscore day and day is D-E and at Novaday Media. Don't forget to like, subscribe, do all the things. If you'd like to sponsor our little love child or just be on the show, you can do so by emailing us at novadaymedia at gmail.com so until next time we'll see you in the next one so be good to each other and as always good luck and god speed we love you art of the beholder is brought to you by novo day productions created and hosted by novo day and the novo day collective facebook.com slash novo day media at novo day media on twitter and instagram music by a company facebook.com slash aco music one two three aco on spotify Logo designed by Tom Justice, J-E-S-T-U-S, of thejusticecompany.com, and executively produced by Clayton Anderson. All rights reserved.